This episode is brought to you by Orchestry. Don't be fooled. Microsoft Teams and SharePoint are difficult. Microsoft Teams, when simply turned on, can be unruly and yield endless sprawl. SharePoint causes constant frustration with user interface and permissioning challenges. End the chaos and harness the full power of Microsoft Teams, SharePoint Online, and Microsoft 365 with Orchestry. Orchestry is the work-made simple platform that empowers end users through controlled self-service provisioning while delivering the actionable insights and lifecycle management your IT administrators need to enable remote and hybrid work productivity without locking down the powerful capabilities of Microsoft Teams and SharePoint Online. See why so many are claiming Orchestry to be the must-have Microsoft Teams management tool of 2021. Get your free access to Orchestry with full featured trial at orchestry.com and tell them the Microsoft Cloud Show sent you to get the all the friends of the show perks. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 437. Today, AC and I are going to talk about the latest news from AWS reInvent conference recorded live. December 3rd, 2021. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Microsoft Teams can be a great tool for your organization. That is, before your users make your environment messier than eating a hard shell taco. And that's where ShareGate comes in. Their user-friendly tools automate the tedious daily tasks involved in migrating, managing, and securing Microsoft Teams so that you can maintain a safe and productive environment without locking it down. Head over to ShareGate.com for your free 30-day trial and transform the way that you manage your Microsoft Teams. Back to the show. Good evening, AC. It is an evening. How are you doing this evening, CJ? Just really shaking it up and doing this at the opposite end of the day that we normally do. I really appreciate your flexibility with my... I think we've had more calendar invite changes this week to try and <laughs> get this scheduled and it's a hundred percent on me. So I, I apologize to you. Don't worry about it. I have mucked you around more times than I can count. Yeah, obviously no problem at all. Yeah. Hey, at least we're back. We're doing it. We skipped last week because of Thanksgiving. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving yeah, with your family. I certainly did with my close friends and family. We went up to Canada to the great Canada, as I call it, mm. north of the wall <laughs> and, and went skiing at Whistler, which was nice. Opening weekend, nice. conditions were sketchy, but we were on the skids, so that's a win. No complaints. It was snowing, there was plenty of snow around, but still early in the season. But yeah, really fun. It was great to get up there. We went up with two other families, got to hang out with their families and spent a few days up there in, in the wonderful winter wonderland that is Whistler in winter. That's awesome. That's awesome. Lovely. I saw your pictures. I'm glad you were able to get away. That's that's nice. Yeah. How about you? We hung around here. We actually had a scheduling snafu family. And so it ended up just being my immediate family, my mother-in-law. And then we surprised my mother-in-law and my kids and flew my niece-in-law. I think that's how you say it. My It's my wife's niece. She lives in Texas and she wasn't really thrilled about staying in Texas. And so she was like, I wish I'd come see you guys because I'm just going to drive over and we're like, the hell you are. That's like a 14 hour drive. Oh, yeah, and, it's a long way. She's yeah, just your so, niece, by the way. Yeah, I know. And so I was like... Not just. I don't yeah. think you need to qualify it with the in-law part. Oh. That's oh, I not see. Okay. how I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're trivializing her. I'm like, well, no. <laughs> she's, she's, she's only your niece. Make her drive, drive 14 hours. You can totally do it. Put on some diapers and drive. What is this? <laughs> Yeah, we had her. My, we were. They were talking about trying to like figure out a way to get her there, and I was like, "I haven't logged into my Delta app in almost two years now, so let me do." Oh, look, I have all these miles. This costs eleven dollars. Million miles. Yeah, yeah. So we did. It was a no-brainer. But awesome. hey, before we get into the show, 
I've got to give you like, I was thinking about using this as a pick, but I can't use it as a pick because you're the one that shared it with me. You have sent me on a freaking bender. Yeah, I know what this is. Oh my God, this podcast that you sh- that you shared with me. First of all, the episode that you shared was incredible. Yeah. But okay, so, the, every, so to our listeners, if you are the entrepreneur type, or if you love just the business of tech, there is, or like you like to watch what's going on in the news and like the business space around, around our industry. There's this podcast called Acquired. It's two guys that are involved in VC and private equity. And what they do is they just, they tell stories about the tagline is every company has a story. And I've only gotten through three episodes since we, since you told me about this, because the ones I've tuned into have been over two hours long. So I've been yeah. I've listening to like six of these. And the one you shared with, you didn't share it with me, you shared it in a little group that I'm in and I went and listened to it. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I fascinated yeah, was the story behind the, the uh, most people don't know it as the Taiwanese uh, Semiconductor Co- Corporation. Yeah. A lot of people probably have heard of the name TSMC, the chip mm-hmm. manufacturer that does like all of Apple stuff and so many other companies. But holy crap, that was interesting. And then the, what was the other one? Oh, the two Anderson Harwitz, Mark Andreessen Harwitz, Mark uh, Andreessen, part one and part yeah. two. Man, you, when you're living through it, it's, you don't see it, but being able to text, stand back from that is just freaking awesome. Yeah. We'll stick it, we'll stick a link to it in the show notes. The TSMC episode is absolutely fascinating. It's a long listen, but it's really interesting. It really goes into the history of chip manufacturing, like computer and semiconductor manufacturing in the world and where it all came from and the history of what ultimately the guy that ultimately started TSMC and made it this global powerhouse of chip manufacturing against all logical reasoning back in the day. I think the term was only real, like real men make their own chips or Mm -hmm. something like that. And this guy started out and went and created the first fab, which was like, you know, the place to fabricate and make chips, not of your own design, to make other people's designs. And that's ultimately what became TSMC, which essentially is the market leader in all advanced chip manufacturing now. And just the story of it is just mesmerizing. They get into the basics of the science of how you make chips with five nanometer technology. Like we all hear five and 12 nanometer, but what does that really mean? And so they go into talking about just how unfathomably small that is and the science required to do that. Not obviously, they dumb it down to a five-year-old's level kind of thing for us uh, mere mortals, but they give you the basics of kind of the concepts that are required and stuff. And you're just like, what? Oh my! And how these guys are just light years ahead of everybody else. Mm. It's the things that, yeah, there, there was one part of the episode where it got really deep about in order to to make chips at this level, they have to laser etch them on the silicone, but they can't use a regular laser because now regular laser is seen as part of the visible spectrum. And that isn't going to work because that's going to get grabbed by the, by working at that sub, at that atomic level. Like yeah. apparently five nanometers is only leaving like three atoms of space between the two lines that they're etching. So they had to come up with something ridiculous. Yeah. They had to create a new kind of light, the ultra UV light or Mm. super ultra ultraviolet light. And in order to do that, they have to zap molten tin 50,000 times a second and Mm, take the light that is, that comes out of that and use that to go through and etch the, to etch (laughs) the silicone. But they can't just, they can't just like capture the light and etch the silicone with that. They have to use mirrors to correct it but they can't use regular mirrors because those 
while they reflect the visible light, they absorb the super ultraviolet light. So they had to come up with a new kind of mirror to do it. It's the thing that you learn from is that this company, I don't think I've heard, I can think of another company that has this much of a market dominance to where even if you were given an unlimited budget, you're looking at a minimum of two, three, four years before you can do just the first chip. Yep. Yeah. It, it's amazing yep. how defensible they are right now with their, yeah, with their market huge. Yeah. It's worth the listen. We'll stick the we'll drop the link in the show notes. People can go take a look at it. But um highly worth a listen if you've got a couple of hours up your sleeve or listen to it over a couple of sessions and learn all about the history of how it all came to be that your iPhone now will soon have a chip in it that uses a five nanometer process, which is just incredibly small. It is so cool. It's a great, if you like this stuff, if you like the history of all like how some of these businesses came to be or the Andreessen Horowitz one, how that yeah. VC uh, firm came together and like their success and the companies they've been involved in. Have you listened to that episode? No, but I want to, because obviously the Netscape history probably makes a big part of that episode. Imagine Andreessen talks about that. Slack, Okta, Airbnb, wow. Roblox. Databricks, they still haven't cashed in on yet. The first $8 billion they invested had a $25 billion return. Wow. The $8 billion in funds. So like yeah, yeah, yeah. how many failed? And then it's twenty. they had $25 billion in return. Amazing. So, crazy stuff. That's a cool episode. Uh, cool podcast. Really good. So the meat and potatoes of the show today, we are going to, well, when I say we, the royal we, which actually means you, are going to talk about the recent conference AWS had the yearly, I think it's yearly, mm-hmm. AWS reInvent 2021 recap. So we've got some exciting news and announcements from that we're going to go through. But first, let's go and hear from some of our great sponsors and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. This podcast is brought to you by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomond and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner part of the technology adoption program and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. And we're back. All right. Now, apparently this was an in-person thing as well as online, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if that was like that last year or not, but yeah, I saw some pictures online of people with badges and 
like conferency things. So I was like, mm-hmm. wow, okay. I didn't know they were doing an in-person thing, but that looks like it, it all looks like it had gone ahead maybe two weeks. No, it's actually, it was this past week. It was, uh, it's been going on. I think it finished yesterday, actually. So it finished on December the 2nd. Oh, yeah. 29th through the 3rd. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There so it's go. been going on this week, or I guess it finished today, but yeah, it was an in-person event. It's a huge event. I don't know how big it was this year, but I know in the past it's been, we're in the Microsoft space. We're used to going to conferences like Ignite or Build and, but invent or reinvent is usually three hotels. It usually takes up three different hotels and having different things going on for each of the different places and taking up all their space and everything. It's really freaking cool. I've been watching a lot of the news that they've been doing that's been coming out of this. And I grabbed a couple of the big items there that are really, they're really big name things or really big label things that they were, that have come out of this. I thought that I thought would be interesting to our listeners. Now, I'm going to admit that I don't know, I'm not a, versed in everything that AWS is doing. And I tried to pick out some things, though, that I I thought were differentiators from what we know in the Azure world and things I thought would be interesting that it just... It's funny because one of these events goes on, we see it ignite or or build, and they talk about everything they're doing in Azure. In the Azure land, you're like, oh, Azure, you got a leg up on Google Cloud Platform and what AWS is doing. And then you see what what reInvent is doing, and you're like... Oh, you guys are doing a lot of stuff that I didn't actually... They're all specializing in their own way. Totally. Yeah, they totally are. We got a boatload of links I dropped in the show notes. Stuff about some top announcements on there. Two or three different YouTube videos that are also going to summarize it. But let me run through some of this stuff and to share some things I think people would find somewhat interesting here. So Yeah, let's dive in. So one of the really big announcements from this event that they came out with was... And I don't really have an order on how I'm going through this, but... This is going to surprise people, I think, at least a lot of our listeners, is that Amazon has launched a whole new program called the Mainframe Modernization Program Mm. or platform. And the idea here is to come up with some sort of a process. They've come up with a process on how we take companies that have these significant investments in mainframes and AS400 and how do you take those investments and how do you migrate those investments to the cloud? Because... This stuff's running on COBOL. It's all written in COBOL and some of these older but tried and true battle-tested languages and platform frameworks that they are now, they're not as easily just lift and shift or just lift and and load up to the cloud. So Amazon's come up with a process on how to go about doing this. I haven't dug into deep into what this process really does and everything, but I do, I am good friends with the guy who's pretty senior with Amazon and he has a very strong mainframe background to him as well. Mm-hmm. That I talked to him a little bit about this, and it's he is really excited about this. I um, bet I can imagine that as we take it for granted now with how easy it is to deploy code and the cloud and things like that. But a lot of the world still runs on this stuff. Like mm-hmm. you forget about it, at least I do. But your bank probably has mainframes. Your country's tax department and government probably run a ton of mainframes. Your airlines, the whole lot, like. It's how the world used to work. And a lot of it is super hard to replace. And so it's still the way the world works, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, it Power grids, the whole lot. And so all of that sitting there, they still make new mainframes. It's not you have to go scavenging on eBay for parts. You can buy them new. And at least this is my understanding. I'm, I'm not a mainframe expert, but I'm, I believe that's the case. And so, yeah, a lot of these projects, for example, I knew that I knew that I know that New Zealand, small island nation in the Pacific, went to go replace its tax system, which was mainframe based. And uh, and it was going to be multi, multi-billion dollar project to try and replace it. And ultimately, I don't even know what happened. I think they gave up on the project because it was so big. 
but big for the country anyway, and may have been trying to chop it up into smaller pieces. But imagine how many examples are like that around the world and how stuck those companies and governments and countries are in trying to use some of the new stuff that's going on in the cloud or just even taking the management and running these things off their hands. So I can see why AWS is going after this. I imagine it's a really quite a big market it, in its own. Yeah, it really is. We had a we met up with I'm just almost I'm just trying to figure out. I'm trying to remember what episode he was on. I think it was episode yeah, 300 and 314. We had an episode titled Azure is the new main, new mainframe with Steve Stewart. And we had him on. We talked to, I talked to him when about the process that his company was using for this. And how they go through and they help these how they help people companies take their mainframe investments and not just like lift and shift, but to really go more with a strangulation pattern of how you're slowly going to be migrating things over. Or is there a bit of a wrapper that can actually run in the cloud, but still have it run on-prem, but it actually is like almost outsourcing some of this workload over to the cloud. So you just Mm -hmm. slowly are replacing pieces. And then you can, once that's done, you've now made the entire shift over to the cloud, then you can start taking advantage of some of these new new capabilities. So uh, that we have in the cloud. So the old classic surround and destroy strategy. Yeah. It, <laughs> hey, it works, right? Totally yeah. works. So the cool thing about it, though, is that I, what I thought was interesting is that this is a huge growth area for any of the big cloud guys because it's a huge consumption bit, especially on the compute side, but really is a big move for them to, on this. As far as I know, the Google Cloud Platform doesn't have anything like this with, with the mainframe focus. Right. I know that there are people at Microsoft that are that do work on this for the Azure space, but mm. I don't know if there's this much of a focus yeah. as like what Amazon really seemed to just stick a flag in the ground for this. So here's its description. AWS mainframe modernization is a unique platform that allows you to migrate your on-premises mainframe workloads to a managed runtime environment on AWS. Mainframe modernization enables two popular migration patterns, replatforming and automated refactoring. That's yeah. So, I upload your code and we're going to tell you all the AWS services you're going to need. <laughs> uh-uh. That's funny because uh, the guy on, he's an analyst on Corey Quinn on Twitter. He's absolutely oh, yeah. hilarious and trolling Amazon keynotes. And he was basically just saying the same thing. He goes, this is actually incredible. You know, we're going to show you all the stuff that we can do for you and how much you can spend with us. That's right. We're going to tell you how to use all of your money. That's right. <laughs> so that was a big one. Another one that it seemed to the people that were released in the in the AWS space that seemed to come out of left field is private 5G mobile networks. It's called the the AWS private 5G. So I saw this at first. I'm like, why would I want this? Like, what? What's so you can issue? track everybody, dude. Everybody Go. knows that. That's true. <laughs> but with vaccines, it's something to do. Exactly. Right? You've got all these people to track now. So I did go back and watch some uh, some experts in this space. They did talk a little bit about why they got, they started getting really excited. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find out why are they so excited about this? What's interesting about it? So with the move to so many more like factories and manufacturing and all this stuff, with so many of these different environments and these factories being so automated and so much IoT involved these days, apparently Wi-Fi doesn't handle it. Because you have so many devices that are having to communicate phone home. Yeah, it's and like so sitting instead, in a SharePoint conference keynote with 15,000 other people and expecting your phone to work. Yeah, exactly. Why isn't the Wi-Fi? Why is the Wi-Fi down? This sucks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so the idea here is to be able to have thousands of devices and machines 
connect with low latency and high bandwidth on a private 5G network. So what Amazon has done is similar to how like other like Amazon has done this, but I know in the Azure space, we've got things like Azure Stack and some of the other like physical based things like the storage where you can put like your data in a box and then send it up to send it over to Microsoft for to be copied into the cloud space on your cloud resources. That's what like what this is. It's, it's a set of infrastructure that you can deploy at your factory that is going to allow you then to manage it through AWS so that all of your devices are going to connect directly to this stuff is going to be able to aggregate and allow all those devices to connect to a 5G network, but it's a private 5G network. It's not one that you're having to like piggyback off like AT&T or Verizon or Orange yep. or any of these other ones that are around the world. And what's in Spectrum to do this? I thought Spectrum was the big 5G battleground and I, on how they do it. I don't know. I, that's it. The things that they did address, the, the questions I had, what if I have a 5G phone? Am I losing my connection to AT&T when I walk in the Amazon factory floor or am I going to be able that to... All has to... I'm imagining it all has to be slightly different frequencies, right? Same as T-Mobile versus AT&T. Right. I'd expect so, but... Interesting. It, this was interesting. This got a lot of press to it. Yeah, so the way that they describe it, cellular technology such as 4G and LTE and 5G augments existing networks with higher bandwidth, lower latency, and reliable long-range coverage to an increased number of devices. And with AWS 5G, you can build private cellular networks to take advantage of the technology benefits of 5G while maintaining the security and granular application and device controls of a private network. Yeah. I wonder if the worlds of Wi-Fi and 5G or the future of 5G or future of cellular will come together. But they're just technically, they're just different wireless standards. Right? Yeah. It's all wireless at the end of the day. It's all radio frequencies flying around. But yeah, then everything should just have a little Wi-Fi chip in it or wireless chip, which I guess they do now, and all connect. So I guess that's what the, maybe that stuff will converge in the future. Starts I with mean, this application. Yeah, and you look at it as this the solution for like when you go to a conference to where is five would five G solve that problem that that bandwidth problem where you have like the congestion or would it solve the problem when you go to a sporting event? Maybe yeah. I don't know. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can't beat physics. That's the problem. That's, yeah, that's the... Yet. Always, yeah. Well, yeah, working on it. That'll come <laughs> in the next build conference. Once, once we get to light speed, then we can beat physics, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Another one of the big announcements that, that AWS got a lot of press for, really the big ones are all the ones that came on day one. So one of the other ones they got a lot of press for is they have... So Amazon has this... I'm not aware of anything at, at Azure that's like this. Neither of the first two things we talked about are like that, but... So this is called um, Amazon FSX. And what this is, uh, like an Amazon file system. So what happens is that when you go create a new, like a new virtual machine or new storage, you can choose the file system that you want to use. So you know, like, wait, like when you go format your laptop or when you go format a, a disk, you've got the option to choose things. We're all probably familiar with like FAT, NTFS, NTFS. On Mac OS, you've got journaling, you've got Mac OS encrypted or encrypted journaling or journal. So there's a bunch of different options here. One of the ones that is really popular and for very large file systems and with speed is one called OpenZFS. And what Amazon has now announced is that OpenZFS is now supported with Amazon FSX. So that adds in to where now they were already able to do as one file system. And then two other ones that people are probably more familiar with. Everybody's probably heard of NetApp, ONTAP, ONTAP. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, 
the Windows file server. Mm. So these are now they've added OpenZFS, which is a very which is a very popular one. So that to the FSX options. So now they have four different file systems that they now support. Interesting. I wonder why they created it. Demand. Hmm. I guess you know, I mean, with this, it's so much of the stuff we see with Azure, right? When they announced this new feature, like people need that. Like, yeah, I want to meet the people that need that. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, there's specific workloads that have really fast file access and different types of workloads demand different loads from I/O and all that sort of stuff that I imagine impact these things. And the file systems that we've had, like FAT32 and extended FAT32 and NTFS, they're decades old. Yeah. Yeah. And now we've got SSDs. So the, the way you interact with your hardware is possible to, to do it differently now. Yeah. Okay. So let's switch. Let me switch gears a little bit. Let me talk a little bit about compute. So have you seen those? We, we've talked about in the past and hey, this is the Apple chips, the M1 chips that we've got. These things are yeah. freaking awesome. The stuff we've seen. We talked about that when they first came out about this time. The new ARM-based ARM chips. Yep. Yeah. And then we saw the new ones get announced a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago with the M1 Pro and the M1 Pro Max. All made by TSMC. All made by TSMC. So if you've ever wanted to play with one of these and to see what the speed's like for an you'd have to go buy one. Yeah. Until now. Ooh. Amazon has deployed new EC2 instances. Those are EC2 is their elastic, which is the their virtual machine offering. And you can now get M1 Mac instances to build and test apps for iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and Apple TV. So for all the places that you're going to be using M1, you can now go get these VMs. And what they've done is they've deployed a fleet of Mac minis that are all connected via Thunderbolt (laughs) to the AWS Nitro system, which lets the Mac mini appear and behave just like another EC2 instance. You can even connect it to your virtual private cloud, boot from Elastic Block Store EBS uh, volumes, leverage snapshots, security groups, and other AWS services. There is no hypervisor involved. You get full bare metal performance of the underlying Mac mini. It's a dedicated host and it's uh, that's reserved for you when you set one of these up. As I say, the Mac Mini that you get, there's two different hardware components that make this up. The one that I think most people are most interested in, it is a M1 system on a chip with eight CPU cores, eight GPU cores, 16 gigs of memory, and a 16 core Apple neural, neural engine. And for the networking side, you get a 10 gigabit network bandwidth and eight gigabits of EBS storage through high-speed Thunderbolt connection. Very cool. I wonder how the meeting went with Apple. They're like, hey, we want to create a whole bunch of virtual machines with you know, Mac OS and it's got to run on your hardware and we want to create a new server to do all of that. And you know, so it all fits in with EC2. And they're like, yeah, no. What should we do? How about you buy about, I don't know, 200,000 Mac minis <laughs> and drill holes in them, screw them into your racks and then hook them up and just go with that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's really cool. It's, I found that I found it really interesting. When I I'd saw, love I was like, to how, see this. Yeah, how are they doing this? Can we get a picture of all these Mac Minis that are just yeah, like in these they, racks? Because I imagine they're going to have to do things like they're going to have to deshell them to be able to cool them properly. I suspect there's been quite a bit of fiddling going on to make it work in a data center environment in a high compact space and all that sort of stuff and mounting and cabling and all that. Like, I'd love to see photos of how they've done it. That's kind of cool. 
I would too. There's a, I did find a company in the United Kingdom. So I have a Mac mini and I have it sitting in my rack and I would love to get one of these. There's a, a one U rack that you can get where you can put two Mac minis side by side mm, um, gotcha. in the rack and everything's all set up to where you just have full access to all the ports. And yeah, that's cool. It's like a hundred dollar shelf though. It's crazy. Okay. So staying on the theme of chips, I got one or two more things around chips. So Amazon, uh, a couple of years ago, they bought this company. I just blanked on the name of the company, but they bought this company uh, a couple of years ago to start coming up, making their own chips. And oh, not AMD chips are not chips from AMD, not chips from NVIDIA, not chips from Intel. They wanted to come up with their own, just like Apple has the M1. So I wasn't aware that they were doing this. Apparently, they are doing it because they've announced a what's called the Graviton 3 chip, which means there was a Graviton 1 and a Graviton 2 that I completely missed out on. But this thing is apparently this is 25% faster than its predecessor. And it's been announced for this. They still work very, or it's been announced for EC. This is something that has been, they're still using AMD. They're still using Intel. They're still working with NVIDIA, but they just wanted to add another option for people. For example, it works with NVIDIA to pair its Graviton processors for providing a way for the Android game developers to stream its titles to different devices. They still want to keep working with them. They're still going to continue to work with them, but it's just a new offering for them. Hmm. So they also announced another kind of chip called the Trainium chip, which which is designed to train machine learning computer models and will compete against chips from AWS. The big thing about these guys, about why Amazon is doing this, is because AWS said last week that they expect to be able to train their learning models at a cost 40% less than what NVIDIA's flagship chip costs. Wow. So that's some pretty pretty advanced that's some pretty advanced stuff that they've done. And no shocker, you also now have these things called EC2 new EC2 instances like the C7G that are powered by the Graviton 3. Fascinating. What instruction yeah. set does it use? I believe they're ARM based, but mm. I'm not most likely. Not, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Man, that's pretty cool. Everybody's getting into building or designing and building custom workload chips, right, for just cut out all the crap, make it super performant for that particular workload. Yeah. That's, well, and that's the part that was going back to that podcast we were talking about earlier. That's where it got interesting, where we have these chips that have always been just the general purpose chip, the CPUs, and then we started getting GPUs. And now people are starting to come up with their own chips that are very specific to what they need. Yeah which makes them a hell of a lot faster as well. Tesla was doing this with their, what was it called? Dojo for their, that they're doing for their autopilot stuff. Gotcha. Another thing that we, that I've, that they had here is they've announced a new thing called AWS data exchange for APIs. I think this is similar to the Azure product. I think it's called Purview. Purview is more about looking for being able to find data across your organization gotcha. and connect it with other apps within your organization on the Azure side. Whereas the data exchange is like that, but for APIs. And it enables mm. customers to find, subscribe, and use third-party APIs from other providers like an AWS data exchange. Customers can leverage AWS native authentication and governance, explore consistent API documentation, and utilize supported AWS SDKs to make API calls. So that's this what this new exchange is all about. It also allows customers to all of their API usage, they can see it in a single consolidated bill, which will help with billing and payments for their customers as well, for their 
downstream customers as well. Interesting. So it's like a directory plus a proxy sort of thing for all of these different APIs. That's kind of, it's kind um, of the graph, I guess. It's kind of like the graph. Right? It's sort of it's making kind of, it simpler to talk to all these back-end services behind the scenes. It's like the graph, but it's not like I'm going to the graph to make these calls. I think that it looks like yeah. data exchange is more or less a way for me to go like to go find it. Almost like it's a like a warehouse of being able to go find everything that's available to me, but not mm-hmm. that it's not like the graph in the sense I'm still going to those endpoints. Whereas with the graph, I'm going straight to graph that's going to those endpoints on my behalf. I see. I have two more things here. One of them is Redshift is now available for in a serverless model, where before it was much more of a provision thing. This allows you to use uh, SQL to analyze structured and semi-structured data across data warehouses, operational databases, and data lakes. What they did this week is announce a public preview and a new capability that makes it super easy to run analytics in the cloud with high performance at any scale. I think that is something that's some of the data factory stuff that we have. I think it's also we're doing the analytics. It's what is it? Uh, Synapse is one of the things that we have over on the Azure side. Not entirely sure that's that's a fair comparison, but it's close. The story behind the name Redshift? I don't. So Amazon was the service, like the shopping site you use, mm-hmm. was originally based on an Oracle database. Oh, really? And they wanted to get out of paying Larry Ellison millions and millions and millions of dollars a year for Oracle licensing. And so they created their new database and they were like, whoa, what do we call it? We want to get off the red stuff. So we'll call it Redshift. (laughs) Yep. That's great. That's what I've heard anyway. That's the backstory, as I understand it. Well, even if it's not true, it's a great story. I like it. Yeah, and Salesforce is in the same boat. Like they were or are, I still, I don't know what they're in that now, but Huge Oracle customer in the years mm-hmm. gone by. And I've been trying to get off it, off the Ellison crack for years. <laughs> <laughs> so many people are doing that. Yeah. I said that Redshift was like Data Factory, but it's also, if you had to, if you had to do almost like a, like a compete against Azure, you'd put Data Factory in there, you'd put Data Warehouse in there, you'd put Data Lake in there, all mm-hmm. up against Azure Redshift. So. Gotcha. The fact that this is available as a serverless option now is great for customers who... I see serverless as a great way for customers who have like spiky workloads or that want to start like getting into it without the big significant investment. And then you start yeah. seeing consistent throughput or consistent demand, then you kind of scale it back. Then you can go more to a dedicated one. The last thing I've got for you is they have released a chatbot or they already had a chatbot. But the cool thing about this is that before it was only read-only. Now it supports management of AWS resources, all of it is done through. Hey, sorry, shut down AC's AWS. I'd love to. I'd love to have something like this in the Azure side. I'd love to be able to interact with Azure on the chatbot-based thing. My phone was listening. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I didn't get that. Can you try again? <laughs> hey, no. sorry, shut down AWS. Yeah, oh, still listening. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to have something like this in Azure, though, to be able to manage my resources. If I had to do it in Teams, do it in Teams, but really in whatever. But having a chatbot to be able to ask, list this, list. And I know I have that kind of like with a CLI, but yeah. it's a little bit more of a guided experience when you have a chatbot that will do that stuff. Operations as well. You can oh, automate stuff like totally. You know, restart the website or they have, add like, more memory. Google or was it HubSpot? Google or HubSpot? Not Google, GitHub. One of the two does that. That's how they do all of their deployments. GitHub. Whenever they want. Yeah, I think it is GitHub. I think I read about this in the engineering blog where they use that to, to get your deployment in line for deployment. And certain people, like junior developers, 
they're not trained on how to go through and do development. Instead, they're just like, they get read access to the chat and they watch other people do their deployments. And it's the whole yeah. interaction, like, all right, you're next in the line, you're next in line. And they just, so that's their training is to watch how other people are doing it. Chat ops, they call chat it ops. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, those are cool. That's actually a pretty decent list of high-level announcements. That's pretty exciting stuff. I'm going to have to go watch a couple of the, watch the keynote and a couple of the videos that accompany these, these pages and learn a little more. There's one or two in there by this group called Cloud Guru. And these guys do a really good job on their YouTube channel of covering all three of the big primary public clouds, GCP, mm. Amazon, and AWS. And actually, the excitement by one of the, the co-hosts of this channel is how I understood like what the 5G thing was all about. Like, why do you care about this? He goes, this is the one that's the really coolest one. I'm like, why? Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> hey, gotcha. So... Anyway, yep, that's a summary of it. Of course, there's a ton more information, but... Yeah, those are some good picks from their conference. Speaking of picks, why don't we wrap up this news, hear from one of our sponsors, and when we come back, dive into some picks. I love it. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Okay, I see. What's your pick for today? Do you know what a trebuchet is? Uh, yeah. Have you ever wondered, could you make a trebuchet that can throw something at supersonic speeds? I don't know. I've never tried. This one guy wondered the same thing. And he's <laughs> it can't be that hard. Maybe I just sit there and he started doing some research. How hard would it be to build this? And he's I was really disappointed because I thought I'd be on this like research project for months. And he goes, and... Three months later, I created a trebuchet with a piece that was one piece that was machined from a CNC and some wood and a bunch of really big rubber bands. And he (laughs) flung a little marble 890 miles an hour. And it (gasps) sounds like a freaking gunshot when it goes off. Wow. (laughs) This reminds me of that company who's trying to fling a payload into orbit. using a centrifugal type launch system. Similar, I guess, like a trebuchet going, and then then the last minute lets it go and it flies into orbit. Yeah, this you got to watch this video. This guy starts this out and he goes, you know what a trebuchet is? And he goes through and shows it. And he made a trebuchet with Lego Technic that flung a washer through a cardboard box. And then he starts going through his entire story. And he's like, yeah, this wasn't really as hard as I thought it was going to be. And he goes through all the math. He's like, you want to skip the math, jump to 914 in the video. And <laughs> it's, it's really cool. He's like, I realized really quickly that I had to find a really open area to test this because this might really work. <laughs> sure enough. You had to go out I, into the desert or something? It looks like the dude's either, I don't think he's Canadian, but it looks like he's, it's up, not the desert, he's up in the snow area where it's snowing right now because it was a, it's a recent video, I think. And so it's Montana, maybe, South Dakota, Colorado, way out in the farm. Because when he, where he launched it was out in the farmland kind of area. I'm going to um, check it out. Oh my God, it's good. It's good. Uh, speaking about the us? humorous things, this is a little more techy in terms of software projects. How does this, just the strange mythology of agile software development and there's the purists and the people that are like, just like whatever, this is BS and stuff. There's a lightning talk that a guy did called Certified Really Agile Practitioner. And the acronym is... Crap. 
<laughs> and he, it's really a interesting take on how some companies approach software projects and essentially how to completely demoralize your project team and how you can do this through being a crap practitioner. And so <laughs> taking all of these agile concepts and like twisting them to large enterprise, political, bureaucratic means, and then what you end up with. And it's actually, it's very humorous. It's a very <laughs> humorous take. It's a bunch of project managers from Six Sigma and all these very heavyweight kind of approaches approach Agile and make it proper. Anyway, there's awesome. always, it's pretty hilarious. It's hard to describe because most of it is about his presentation of it and the humor that goes along with it. It's worth a five-minute watch if you have a second and you want to laugh about Agile and, uh, and his take on <laughs> how, it's, how it works out in the real world sometimes. Someone's, someone's like, this is the most awesome crap I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent crap. Yes, uh, the best crap I've ever seen. It's very good. It's very good. Step five, human resources exercise part one. Let all project managers go. They will no longer be needed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, this, so this guy looks like he might have presented at the Mix conference. Remember the old Mix conference? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It looks like I'm finding a, a video of him. God, it looks like he's dressed the exact same way. He is wearing a shirt that's like the unicorn cat, Windows unicorn cat shirt. I wonder if it's the same oh, That actually, mm, that looks more like a badger riding a unicorn. <laughs> and in fact, a pirate badger because he's got an eye patch on. Oh, my God. This guy's got a history of doing stuff like this, it looks like. He's very humorous. It's quite funny. Uh, this is great. Right. Good find. I'm going to have to watch this. Yeah, yeah. It's worth, worth five minutes. And on that note, let's wrap it up for this week. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back next week. Good to see you again, AC. And, good to see you, uh, too. And I go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, good to see you, too. It's been two weeks, and so it's nice to get back to it. And yeah, I know you. all you listeners don't realize how much how hard this one actually was to pull off this week, but I'm glad we were able to pull this up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, catch you next week. Yeah, man. Have a good weekend. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.